Welcome. I'm John Beethan, your host, and this is what has my attention. This episode is time-sensitive, and it's a PSA for Tomorrow's Women, a nonprofit organization headquartered in Santa Fe, New Mexico, that empowers young Israeli and Palestinian women to create change in areas of conflict. So if you like what you hear, on Saturday, July 31st, 2021, you'll have the opportunity to hear directly from the 2021 campers speaking live from their unprecedented camp taking place in the Middle East near Bethlehem. And if you're so moved and want to support this work, please consider making a donation of any size at tomorrowswomen.org. I'm joined today by the director of Tomorrow's Women, Terry Burnett, and two campers from the 2021 camp who at the camp Saturday, July 31st, will be joined by young leaders sharing stories of peace amidst the recent violence. In this episode, Terry mentions my involvement in podcasting the 2006 monologues performed at the beautiful Lensic Theater in Santa Fe, New Mexico. I had recorded six episodes from that evening. And towards the end of this interview, and after our goodbyes at about the 32-minute mark, you'll have the opportunity to hear the monologues in several languages of several young women leaders from that 2006 camp. At the time, I was working with Tanya Taylor Rubenstein and Camila Dare at Project Life Stories, an organization that was brought into the camps to help the girls write and perform their stories as monologues. I'd been podcasting for about a year, and took the opportunity to record six episodes of the monologues. And now, here are tomorrow's women. Terry, welcome, and also want to welcome Noga and Aiden, who are on audio only. And Terry's from Tomorrow's Women. And uh, this is going to be a part of the series I do on what has my attention called Women in Strong Leadership. Once again, Terry, welcome. Thank you so much, John. It's really wonderful to be here. Yeah, it's really, really great to have you here. I'm really excited. I've already been telling people that we're going to be doing this and they're all excited. Wonderful. So take it away. The show is yours. All right. Well, um, the topic of your podcast really is the essence of our of our organization, our mission, and our vision. Um, so I think what I'll do is share a little bit about how the organization began um, and how long it's been around. And then I really want to pass the mic to Noga and Adon, and they're going to share um, a personal story each. Um, and then we can, I've got a few questions, we can engage them um, on this particular topic. Perfect. So tomorrow's women, um, formerly known as Creativity for Peace, um, and you, John, were there in the early days of that. It was wonderful to reconnect. Yes, podcast. We actually podcast six episodes, <laughs> which was great. Uh, and a, a, f- a funny story about that is that I found those podcasts um, as I was sort of sorting through the materials of this um, 18 going on 19 year old organization. And I thought, what are these? Um, who was doing podcasts back in like early 2000s? Well, it was John. Um, and then we reconnected, you know, months after that. Um, 
So it's full circle, but it, so it was creativity for peace for many years. It started in 2003 um, and it started with three powerful women, uh, strong women who had a vision. It was during the second intifada. For those of you that aren't familiar with that, um, it's considered an uprising um, between Israel and Palestine. Um, it was a very bloody, um, bloody conflict and a lot of lives were lost on both sides. And these women, two of them American and one of them Israeli, said, you know, we have to do something different. Um, and we want to focus on the young, the next generation that's going to come into power. And we want to focus on young women. Um, and that is how the organization started. They had some land uh, in Santa Fe, New Mexico, where I'm based right now. And the organization is headquartered. Um, and they began on a shoestring, a volunteer basis. They brought together uh, about a dozen young women, half Israeli Jewish, half Palestinians living in Israel and also the West Bank. Um, and they brought their skills to the table, which were dialogue uh, and also creative therapeutic art making and movement. And it uh, is still around now. We're going to celebrate our 20th anniversary in 2023. So oh, my God, you're old enough to drink. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> At least in this country. Um, and I took over the organization in 2019. Um, and we, you know, there was a desire to change the name uh, for a while, um, but I sort of got past that baton. Um, and with the support of a generous donor, um, Connie Kaiserman, who is no longer with us, um, she truly was a visionary for peace. Uh, we rebranded, and it was really meant um, to be in service to the young women that you'll get to hear from in just a few minutes. Uh, that peace is a really politicized word. Um, it is in the United States, and it certainly is in the Middle East. Um, and it precluded a lot of our young women from joining the organization on both sides. Um, so we spent a lot of time. We had a lot of cooks in the kitchen and we uh, decided to go with the name Tomorrow's Women because it really reflects who we are, where we're going. Um, it's positive and it's engaging. And all of the young women really love the name. Um, and we're, we're growing into it now. It's been a year since we did that. So the organization started with what we all lovingly refer to as camp. Um, and that was here. It is generally here in Santa Fe, New Mexico. It's three weeks. The young women will spend almost 40 hours in facilitated dialogue with Israeli Jewish and Palestinian facilitators. Um, they live in the same house. They sleep in the same rooms. They eat together. They do chores together. Um, there's a lot of social bonding through ropes courses and, um, you know, fun down downtime moments on the trampoline. And that's where these bonds are formed and where a lot of the fear, the mistrust is broken down. Um, and it's not an easy process as, as that they will share with you. Um, and for young women, you know, 15, 16 years old to engage in this kind of work um, is, is courage on a whole other level. So it wasn't enough, though, right, just to have this transformational experience and then go back um, go back home, right? You've changed, but your community, your, your, your world hasn't changed. So then we created something called um, the Young Leader Program. And that's where they continue to work with the organization for one, two years and beyond. Um, but it's very intensively for the first year. They, they go through four or five weekend long seminars. They revisit the skills they've learned. 
And those skills, just in a nutshell, are compassionate listening, authentic speaking, and emotional resilience and regulation. And the sense of that is I have to be able to listen to you, to the other side, even if I don't agree with you. I have to hold compassion to be able to do that. And then when it's my turn to speak, I have to do that authentically, not blaming, not shaming, not going political, but staying in that personal space. And then when I get upset, I have to be able to regulate. And I have to have resilience, right? Because peacemaking is a long game. And so we teach those skills. And so the young women continue to learn those um, very intensively um, a year after camp. And then we have opportunities like this, where they get to speak to the public. They learn how they learn the, the skills of public speaking, which they say is the second worst fear <laughs> that humans have. <laughs> I don't know if that's true, but it's definitely up there. Um, and, and they also come back um, to camp as sort of big sisters, camp counselors. And that's what Noga and Adon are doing um, right now. So I will pass the mic. Um, but, but really briefly, I want to talk about camp. Normally, it's happening right now in Santa Fe. But due to COVID, it's happening in the Middle East. That way, the young women and the facilitators didn't have to travel internationally. Um, and, and so it's in, it's in a place right outside of Bethlehem. Um, and it's historic. So we've always had camp in the United States. And so this is complicated, right? It's in the West Bank. That means Israeli Jews had to travel into the West Bank. It's legal for them to go into this place where it's called Area C, um, but it's complicated. And so uh, these young women that have, you know, courageously joined to be campers um, and with the support of Noga and Don, uh, Don and, and the staff, um, it's really a historic moment. So we're excited about that. Um, and I'll talk about it at the end, but we are going to have an opportunity for um, all of you listeners to join us. It's called Salam Shalom. It's coming up this coming Saturday, July 31st, um, and it's at uh, 10 a.m. Mountain Time or 7 p.m. Jerusalem Time. And that's going to be an opportunity where, where folks can come and um, get to know the campers and also to hear from Nova and Don again. So I'm going to pass it over. Um, unless there's anything you want me to to share more about, John, before I pass No, on. No, that's good. I do notice um, they're coming on without video, and I notice their mic is muted, and they've left actually once since we started. So um, we're going to have some bumps here. I mean, they're, we're talking to them, and they're across the pond, so to speak. So can you guys hear us? Yes. Oh, great. So carry on. Okay. Well, um, I'm going to start with Adon. So will you introduce yourself, talk about when you uh, first joined the program, um, what you've been up to, um, why you joined, why this was interesting to you, um, and then share share a story with us. Okay. So my name is Adan, and I'm 22 years old. Uh, I was in the camp in 2016. Um, and since then, I, when I graduated from school, I went to college and I studied and still studying uh, English literature and psychology. And that's what I currently do. Um, I joined the camp because I joined the camp after having a car accident, a very bad car accident, uh, where I almost... Uh, lost my life and uh, during that time I was surrounded with 
so many doctors who are uh, Jewish and Arab. And um, I was for the first time in my life, I was only 13 back then. And it was the first time um, I'm physically and uh, like forcefully uh, involved with a situation where I, I see like a mixed, uh, mixed group of people around me, uh, like working together. And for me, I was, it was for me the first time in my life um, wondering if I would have died in that day, how, how would it be? that I would have died without knowing my true identity and like this reality that I live in without living, like living without uh, doing anything about it, without uh, like, uh, without understanding even why do we have this complexity and this reality uh, uh, that I lived in because I was so young and I was so afraid to, to, to face it, to have the courage to, to actually, um, um, admit that there's something wrong around me and that there's a, a struggle that um, it was so hard for me to back then when I was young to accept that and face it and try to learn about it or even do anything about it so that's that was the beginning and that was the reason I decided to to join the camp to to get a, more aware and to learn about uh, the story of my people and the, the story of uh, and the narrative of the other side. Thanks, Adan. And you, um, you're both from the 2016 camp. Yes. Um, so why don't you go ahead and, and share um, a personal story with us? Yeah, sure. Um, so, I mean, I always, when I went when I went to the camp, I didn't know how to identify myself. I didn't know even I I had I had so much fear even to say that I am Palestinian, because um, for so many years I was so afraid to actually get exposed and connect to the identity of my people because of the suffering I know about the suffering I hear uh, from the stories of my grandmother in each Friday. When she tell she tell us about uh, the land she used to have in the past, and uh, the way she used to go, on. she was a farmer with her uh, dad and family, and they would go um, they would go every uh, day to the to their lands and work the lands and with the neighbors and share the food and uh, the humble life and uh, she would speak about it with so much uh, uh, pain and uh, hope that uh, she speaks like we had these lands and uh, now uh, we don't have them, like this land becomes um, this, this city and this land, the, the, the lands of those people becomes this city. So my, dad, my, my grandmother used to tell us uh, about uh, her childhood and she lived more than 95 years. So actually her childhood started before uh, um, like she was even alive in the when the the, the British uh, in that day in the time of the British rule in the country before the the independence of the country or even the Nakba for us. So, um, like the the history that she lived um, and the 
the story that she told me, it's, it was uh, so hard uh, for me as a, a young kid to connect with this narrative, to, to know that I'm in the side of uh, people who, who are struggling and people who have lost their lands and are losing their identities as well. Um, so I was afraid to say I'm Palestinian, but uh, after the car accident and uh, after the camp, I had the chance to actually um, to learn a lot, to become aware that it takes courage uh, and it's not easy. It takes strength and so much awareness to understand that uh, uh, identity is something that is not uh, black and white. And I always wondered through my life, like, why did God, uh, like, uh, uh, like, bring me in this, uh, in this place? Like, why not only, uh, like, uh, being in Gaza or being in the West Bank? Like, being something like less complex than this, where I live. I live uh, with the people that is called uh, Arab Forty Eight, the people who stayed in their lands when the in in. Uh, 1948, when the when the Nakba happened, when people like uh, lost their lands and uh, Israel um, um, declared the independence of the country, so I always questioned like, what's my position in this in this in this place, and uh, why this unique uh, this unique place, why this unique identity that no one understands. Um, for so many years, I struggled to 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 position myself, to choose between anger and hope, to choose to choose between fear and courage, and so um, with my grandmother's when my grandmother um, died one year ago, and she was when she was dying, I actually I, I it was the most devastating time in my life, but it was at the same time a very insightful and meaningful time because all these memories was rising again. And I was remembering that everything happened for a good reason. And uh, I remembered her stories. I remembered how in her last, like even in, in her last uh, days, she would make sure that someone is going to the lands that we still have and make sure that collect the olive from the uh, olive trees and share the oil that we make with people who don't, they, they don't have the trees and can't make it. And, and this message, it was always surrounding me. And um, the, during the camp and growing up, it, it become more aware that uh, it's very important for me to connect to my identity and to connect with my, uh, my authentic self, uh, which my ancestors, my grandmother brought to my life. And to and to to know that you, you can still be human, you can still feel for others, you can still be for someone else uh, while doing this, while while being true to yourself and connecting to your own identity, but still um, having hope despite everything. So even though my whole reality was violated lately, and I've been doing this work for so much long time now, since I was sixteen, I still. Uh, I still have um, hope, but I also wonder now, like, how can I be um, a peacemaker? Uh, how can I be a leader uh, in this time, life? 
after everything we are facing, but yet you, you see me, I'm still here. Oh, we're so glad you are, Adan. Your story is really inspiring. And, um, you know, if it's, if it's not you, who will it be, right? And you've really stepped into that in, in a really strong way. Thank you for sharing. Thank you. So Noga, okay. you're up. Share a little bit about um, why you joined, what you've been up to, um, and then just go right into to share a personal story with us. <clears throat> okay. So my name is Noga. Uh, I live in Jerusalem, but uh, I'm originally from the north, uh, from the northern part of Israel from a village called Tivon. And uh, I was a camper in 2016 uh, with Adan. We were in the same camp and we are really good friends from there. Um, and I joined the program um, after uh, a good friend of mine. Uh, she was uh, one year before me. Uh, her name is Gaia. Uh, and she told me about her experience and what she has been through in the camp. And it sounded like something really interesting for me. Uh, all, all of my life, I live in the north, like I lived in the north, in, uh, in Tivon, which is in the north. And uh, I don't know if you all know that uh, in the northern part of Israel, there are many uh, Jewish and Arab villages really, really close uh, to one another. Uh, really close neighbors uh, and uh, actually also in kindergarten and uh, I I was uh, um, studying with the uh, Palestinians also and Arab uh, kids um, and they were my friends but as I grew up um, I it was hard to meet uh, more uh, Palestinians uh, because of the schools have uh, been separated um, so the years uh, went and uh, I barely had the chance to meet the uh, Palestinians and people who are not uh, from my community, from the Jewish community. And uh, hearing about the chance of spending a whole summer with the uh, Palestinians and uh, talking about the conflict uh, really, uh, really uh, sounded good to me because uh, it was really interesting for me um, and be, um, to learn more and to meet the other side and, and hear about the different stories and narratives um, and also to figure out my own and the identity and position. position. Um, and I think that camp still affects my life and my whole um, looking at the conflict and and everything um, um, for more asking questions about uh, my reality uh, and the things that I see all around me and surrounding me and uh, seeking and looking for a more compassionate way of living and peaceful, peaceful way of living together. Um, so this is about my experience. Um, and the story I want to tell you about uh, is a little bit about my music. Um, so since I am, I was nine years old, um, I played the flute, um, and all the years I've played, uh, I I took part in uh, 
uh, orchestras and ensembles and all were we all the years I studied uh, classical uh, music uh, European music um, and as I got got to high school um, I was a little bit frustrated from uh, learning all the time this classical music uh, and I felt not connected uh, and I was looking for something different or something new um, and I've heard from a friend of mine about an uh, Arab Jewish orchestra that took part in Haifa, which is really close to the place I grew up in. Um, so I googled a, a bit about this uh, orchestra uh, and seen some videos and was really touched with the music that I heard. Um, like uh, in this orchestra, um, the, the music that they uh, played there is a mixed cultured music, like Eastern and uh, Western music together, like uh, Arabic and uh, European and Hebrew songs and Arabic songs uh, all together. And I was really touched. Um, and I wrote to the conductor uh, if there was a possibility that I could join with my flute and play and took, take place in that uh, orchestra. And then I had an audition and got accepted um, and uh, participated in this orchestra for about two years. Um, and it was really life-changing for me. Also, having the chance of uh, meeting, the, uh, meeting many, many uh, music students in the, in the orchestra and uh, uh, having the chance to play uh, different kind of music that I was uh, used to. Uh, a little bit of Arabic and know, getting to know better the uh, Arabic culture and music. Um, and it really opened my mind and my, my heart to this uh, music. And uh, after I finished high school, I left the orchestra and uh, continued, uh, continued uh, to uh, practice myself the Arabic music and to listen uh, to many Arab Jewish uh, ensembles and music. Uh, and uh, uh, two years ago, I moved to Jerusalem and uh, uh, I started uh, learning the uh, music in the East, East and West uh, Music Center uh, in Musrara neighborhood in Jerusalem, um, which there I really got the chance to uh, know better the Eastern culture musics uh, such as Turkish and Persian and also Arabic and started to play the Nai, which is an Arabic flute. Um, and I think this is really life-changing for me. Uh, nowadays I study in the Music Academy in Jerusalem in the Eastern Department. Um, and this is really my dream. Like I feel like I really found my, uh, my the music that can express myself and I, my identity. Um, my parents originally are half from my father's family is from Turkey, and my mother's family is originally from Holland. So in Israel, we have like uh, Ashkenazi and Mizrahi, like. Uh, um, families that have uh, originally from Europe and families that are originally from uh, Arabic countries or um, uh, Morocco or such uh, Eastern uh, 
countries and and the culture are really different in each uh, kind of uh, thing so I'm half and half <laughs> so I feel like I'm really connecting back to my also to my uh, uh, roots so yeah that's my story mm-hmm. thank you so much Noga um, and Adon Noga your story um, to me sort of exemplifies the greatest hope right that um, both sides can come together and, and live in a peaceful and harmonious and just way. Um, so thank you for sharing that. I, I want to ask kind of a hard question to both of you um, because you both shared, you know, the sort of the, the beauty of what it means to be a peacemaker and the hope. Um, but share a little bit about the hard parts so if, if both of you could share really briefly an experience that you've had, uh, a negative experience, um, either from before you joined uh, the organization, during or after, like an experience of, you know, where um, a family member or a community member or someone you didn't know, you know, found out what you were doing or you had to hide your identity or, you know, things, things like that. What are the hard parts of being a peacemaker? Um, yeah, it is a really hard question. <laughs> um, really trying to to think of a of an answer. Um, but I think one of the for me as a as a Jewish Israeli, um, the position of being uh, the the occupator uh, and being the side that is that causes pain to to the Palestinians is really hard and also to be part of of my society and my friends going to the army and really not knowing what's wrong and right because my people I love and the people that I am part of um, are and the the occupators and the mm. yeah i can imagine the challenge of that so i think this complicated and really um confusing thing about my identity in this whole hmm. let's get them some broadband <laughs> Yeah, all over. If you can hear us, uh, um, not sure what's going on, but you might want to exit and come back. And Terry, while that's all happening, uh, what else? Well, um, I'm always so moved by hearing the young women speak. Um, mm-hmm. Just their their ability to articulate at such a young age, um, the depth and the confusion and the hope. Mm-hmm. I think is something that's really, really unique. And I think it's our organization, our programs attract mm-hmm. um, young women who have that awareness. And, mm-hmm. and then I think we have this ability to really broaden that, you know, yeah. give them the skills and the platforms. Yeah, I have this feeling we should probably wrap it up. Okay. Well, at least we um, 
we got to hear them share their stories. So you can learn more about our organization um, at tomorrowswomen.org. And, and as I mentioned before, we've got a wonderful event. Um, it's free and open to the public, but you do need to register. You can go to our website and media and events and register for our program called Salam Shalom, A Path to Peace. And you'll get to hear from Noga and Adan again, as well as the young women who are participating for the first time, um, meeting each other for the first time um, during camp. And Noga will also be playing some of her beautiful music. That's July 31st, 10 a.m. Mountain Time, 7 p.m. Jerusalem Time. Very nice. All right, great. So website, specifically the URL address? Tomorrowswomen.org. There you go. Well, Terry, thanks for being here. For those of you out there, you can, uh, oh, we got some, they're, they're trying to join back. I like that. Anyway, you can always get a hold of us or, I mean, follow us, actually. Just go to whathasmyattention.com. And uh, we have several different ways to follow in terms of the podcast app and everything. But you can get the podcast virtually anywhere that you get your audio. So it's not just limited to Apple or anybody else. It could be Amazon Music. It could be Spotify. It just doesn't make any difference. But if you go to whathasmyattention.com, you can always leave us a voice message. There's a little blue button on the bottom right, and you can just click on that and send us a voice message with a question or even some feedback for this episode or even another one. Are the girls back? Say hi if you are. Hi. <laughs> Good. Now that you've said hi, you both can say goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going to wrap up. No going to Oh, Thanks so much for joining us from camp. We look forward to seeing you on Saturday. Thank you. في كل مساء أحتاج للحظات صمت وحيدا أفكر ماذا أحتاج لأحلم به لأن الأحلام في حياتنا مستحيلة وأحاول تحقيقها في الحلم في أحلامنا أشياء مركبة اختلاط أشياء كلها دائما صعبة المراس قوية في كثير من الأحيان لا أستطيع تفسيرها وفي الأحيان الأكثر لا أتذكرها أفلا تظنون أنه صعب على شريه أن يكون بلا ذكرى أفلا يكفي أن ليس له ذكرى عن الماضي ولو قليله وأيضا لا يذكر يوما أنه حلم مع أنه يحلم في حياتي البشرية المستحيل هو المراد وفي حياتي أشياء بسيطة أحتاج إلى تحقيقها ليس لنفسي ولكن لإسعاد الآخرين ولكنها في وطننا شبه المستحيل وفي المنام بعيدة المنال الجميع يريد الأفضل يطالبه يحارب من أجله ولا أحد يفكر لماذا أحتاج للأفضل في هذه الحياة البالية فاعتقادي قلمي هو أرضي التي ألجأ إليها حينما أشعر بالفراغ بالغضب بالفرح أو بالاشتياق أتركه يتسلل على الأوراق ليترك وراءه بصمات الشعور والإحساس وهذا لا يعني أنني لا أحتاج إلى وطن يأويني أحس بدفء ترابه 
وحرارة شمسه وحضنه الواسع لوجود الاحتلال الإسرائيلي ألجأ إلى الآمال ليكون لي وطن واحد نقي الحكومة جميل الشعب سهل التنقل وهذا لن يحدث إلا بسواعد الأجيال وهذا لن يحدث إلا بسواعد الأجيال Sometimes I feel that my pen is my land. When I write, I try to write from my heart, and I feel that the words that come out of me don't only represent my feelings, but also the feelings of other people and their hearts as well. My pen is the land I go to when I feel full of anger, happiness, longing. I let the pen slow down on the sheet to leave behind the imprint of my feelings, but it doesn't mean that I don't need a physical land where I can feel safe, safe to feel the warmth of the soil and the depths of the sun embrace me when I cry. And because of the occupation, I hope, I wish to have a land, a wide land, and clean authority and a beautiful nation with ease of movement and freedom. To my mind, it could only happen through the younger generation, our generation. Every evening, I need some quiet time by myself to think about what I need in order to just dream. But I fear that Many hopes in my life are impossible to come true. So I try to reach my hopes in my dreams. In our dreams, there are so many connections, mixing so many different strands, all of them difficult to reach. Sometimes I can't even understand my dream, and most of the time I can't remember it. Do you know how hard it is for me to be without memory? Is it not hard enough to have no memory of your past and your ancestry, let alone to have no memory of your dreams, to forget the dream that you dream even when it is real? Human beings often wish impossible wishes. In my life, there are such simple things that I really need, not just for myself, but to make others happy. Still, My land lives in the shade of impossible things, things I can't reach, even in my dreams. When you want to think about this, slow your heart for a moment and try to listen to your heartbeats and then translate those beats into words. I would need many notebooks to write about checkpoints, as they are the worst thing I have ever experienced in my life. When I left Gaza and came to America with my friends to attend the peace camp, we had to pass through a number of checkpoints. Each time, it felt like I was being robbed of my self-respect when the soldiers spoke to us slowly, forcefully, and with a teasing insolence that was so humiliating. 
They asked us to take some of our clothes off, and it felt like someone drained my soul. If they weren't so concerned about world opinion, I'm sure they would have asked us to undress completely, standing naked in front of everyone. This is why I thought twice about making this trip to America, because I didn't want to experience the checkpoints. They treat you worse than an animal and you can't even know who's giving you orders. The guard speaks down to you from a tower high above the ground, so far up that you can only catch his eyes if you squint. For me, it is the worst feeling in the world to have to encounter such difficulties and endure such humiliation just to leave Gaza and wait for hours on end to pass through the checkpoint. This endless waiting is hardest for those who are ill and in need of medical treatment abroad, and some prefer to die from the sickness than languish at the checkpoint. As for me, I choose not to study in universities outside of Gaza in order not to have to pass through the checkpoints again. It is a humiliation no one would wish to experience. I hope that one day, my land will be free, so I could live in it in peace and without checkpoints. <coughs> the Holocaust. Oh my God. It's too painful to write about. The first thing popping in my head is the search for revenge. I look at my grandfather and grandmother each day. I see the numbers on my grandfather's arm, and I think to myself, why? So many questions are running through my head. Like, how could the world not know? How could everybody just be quiet and not do anything about it? I'm so angry. A lot of my family died in the Holocaust, and when I hear the stories about it, it's too hard. The hardest thing of all is that my grandparents do not talk about it. When there is Holocaust Memorial Day, they just turn off the TV and are quiet all day long. They light candles for all their relatives that passed away. My grandparents came from Czechoslovakia and were teenagers during the war. My grandmother was seven years old in 1939. She was first to wear a yellow star on her clothes. The family was taken to a war camp and her older brother taken to Auschwitz. My grandmother and her family were hiding in a village, but the father of my grandmother was cut and also sent to Auschwitz. The rest of the family was killed except for my grandmother, her younger brother, and her mother. After 50 years, my grandmother found out that her older brother was saved and living in Czechoslovakia. He had married a Christian woman and her family had saved him. Three years ago, she reunited with him for the first time in 50 years. My grandfather was also taken to Auschwitz. When he was released at the age of 18, he weighed only 35 kilos. He somehow survived the death march. His entire family was killed, and only him, his brother, and father were saved. My grandparents never talk about their experience, but when I began writing this monologue, I asked my mom, and she finally told me what happened. Maybe now I can try to understand how this happened. Well, it's not true. I could never understand. How could someone be so cruel, without soul? 
I guess they were just sick people, because if not, then I will lose all my beliefs in the human race. So when I think about six million people that were killed in all kinds of ways, I guess I just can't understand. It's so hard for me to hear people say that the Intifada is exactly the same as the Holocaust. I feel there isn't anything similar between those two things. I wish the Intifada would stop. But sometimes I just don't see a solution to this. Since the beginning of the Intifada, the lives of the Jews and the Arabs have changed. The Jews and the Arabs are afraid to leave their homes, and our lives have become normalcy to who is going to die that day. My opinions have grown at this camp, and I feel the only solution is to take the land of Israel and split it into two countries. One side the Arabs, and on the other side the Jews. On every side there are people that are extreme, and they want, and they want all the land. Until they will have it, it won't be pleased. So many times there were bombings in places where I go a lot. For example, one month ago, there was an explosion near the mall in Netanya. We go there a lot, and my mom and I were supposed to be there that day. I was really scared when I heard about the bombing because I could have been killed. Also, just a few days ago, there was shooting on a bus in Shufaram, an Arab Israeli village. The man who shot people was an Israeli soldier. My dad works there, and one of his employees warned him after the shooting to leave because he's a Jew who works in an Arab community. Both of those examples show that the violence comes from both sides. It's so hard for me to hear some people's opinions. I love Israel. It's my home, it's my love, it's my family. Each day I hear conversation of my parents and their fears about my brother who is in the army. I will never apologize about my rights to live in this country that my grandparents built in their own hands. No soldier enjoys being in Gaza or Ramallah or the checkpoints, and no family like mine is enjoying worrying about their children's life each day. But it's the only way to prevent suicide bombers and give a feeling of safety to the citizens of Israel, Jews and Arabs one. I wish someday that we could live in peace, and I hope that the suffering of my grandparents and all the Israeli people will end. I hope I can play a small part in this. Hi, I am an Arabic girl who was born in Haifa. Haifa is a big city in the north of Israel. In Haifa, there are the three religions, the Christians, the Muslims, and the Jews. We all live peacefully, and everybody respects others. I I study in an Italian school. It's a Christian school, but we also have Muslims and three Jewish girls. One of the most beautiful places that I love is Jerusalem. I go there every other month. Jerusalem is a big and beautiful city. I go there to pray and also to shop. Every time I go, <laughs> I always hear a voice in my head that says to me to be careful or not to go at all. It's not that I'm afraid, but I always hear that voice. I'm not afraid because I always go where the Arabs live, and I don't think that they are going to bomb themselves, so I feel a little bit safer. <laughs> the church where I go to pray is the church where the sacred heart of Jesus. When I go to Jerusalem and see the Arabs living with others peacefully, I still have the hope that each day we can live in peace together. I think that Jerusalem is a beautiful city. So I feel sorry that the Palestinians can't go to visit there. I think that the government doesn't have the right to forbid any person to visit the city.
I think that Jerusalem is a city that belongs to the Arab people, but if we put all of these thoughts away, like Jerusalem belongs to Arab or to Jews, the two nations can live together. I have heard about the Holocaust a lot, and I also learned about it in school. I know that Hitler killed Jews without reason. In my opinion, he was a crazy man. The small groups of Jews that were, that were rescued from Hitler's hand came to our land of the Arabs and lived there. In 1948, the Israelis came to Palestine where my grandfather lived. The Israelis kicked out all the people that were in his village called Berem. They took her lands and homes and built new Jewish villages in the place of the Palestinians once. My grandfather lived in Birem until he was seven years old. The Israelis always promised the people and my grandfather that they would give back the land. But after 58 years, my grandfather is still waiting to get his lands back. The Jews have now become six million people living in a country that does not belong to them. I think that the Israeli government and the soldiers are doing to us what Hitler did to them. It's like they are taking revenge. I feel sorry about what Hitler did in the past, and now I feel so sorry about what the Israeli government is doing today. Well, I can live with another person, but I don't have to have, I don't have agree with his ideas. I can just listen to him and say, okay, well, it's your opinion, let's keep living like we are, and that's that. I use this example about Israel and Palestine, not one of the two countries wants to give up, and not one of the two countries wants to get out. So these two countries can live together without war and each one with his things. But unfortunately, the government doesn't think as I do or like other people do, who want peace so much. The government does all these complicated things. We can just hope for peace and wait and see what comes. I remember one time when I was little. I was in the living room with some friends. My mother was putting makeup on us for fun. Suddenly, there was the loud siren, and my mom took all of us quickly to the bomb shelter. We had to sit in this small room, and then my mother and father's friend went to bring all of us food. I was really worried for her, and it seems like forever until she came back. When the Indifada started, I live in the south. The rockets fell in my area, but it seems far away until one day a rocket fell in the kibbutz where I studied. Later, we went back to Kiryat Shmona. There was a time when almost every day we heard the rockets fly above us. I tried not giving this too much attention, but it was scary to be alone in the house and hear the booming of the rockets. One time, we went to an Arab village for my school volleyball game, and in the middle, our coach told us that might be Katyusha rocket falling at home. Tears started to fall down my face. Another time, we were on our way to a game in a different Arab village, and we were told that there is a suspicion of a terrorist, terrorist penetrating into Kiryat Mona. All the people were ordered to return to their home and stay there. I was alone in my house and scared. I spent a lot of time with my with my grandmother, and she discussed a lot of things, including her life in Germany. 
The Holocaust is a horrible thing that happened to the Jewish people and changed the essence of the Jewish nation. My grandparents suffer in it, and my grandmother wrote a whole book about what happened to her during this time. Today, people use terms from the Holocaust and compare it to other things. This is the most despicable thing I feel you can do. It makes me very angry and it causes an indescribable feelings. This is the reason that Israel is so important to us, and I think we should learn the history and the process that caused the Holocaust to understand it. This year, I saw a play with my theater class, and there was an ex-soldier in the play that talked about standing at checkpoints when he served in the army. Serving at checkpoints affected a man and made him cool in a way that he didn't think was possible. Being in the territories made him cynical and apathetic. He traveled to India after the army, like many ex-soldiers Israelis, and made a spiritual journey for, journey for himself. But it was only a cover in different clothes. These young Israeli men are normal, full of life and happy, but the situation of standing at checkpoints changed them. The soldiers are 18 to 20 years old, and they have so many responsibilities. If they don't stop a suicide bomber, from entering Israel, they will be responsible for the bombing. They are afraid that if they don't check people well enough, a bomber will get through. Doing this so many times a day makes people apathetic. The soldiers did things they never would have done. When I will be in the army, I want to stand at checkpoints to make sure that bad behavior won't happen. My land is Israel, and no one is going to take it away from me. It's my home, and the home that my grandparents have fought for, the land my grandparents built on, and my grandparents put sweat, blood, and tears on. My home forever. My friends, my history, my beliefs, the Bible, the place I know, the place I feel comfortable in, the place with the most difficult and complicated problems in the world. But for me, it's obvious. This is the place I want to live in. My memories. I live in three areas of Israel and I saw almost all of it. I love to travel in Israel and I get this interest from my parents. Israel is traditions, joke, humor, barbecues, Independence Day, Passover. The more I write, the more connected I feel to Israel. I'm saying things now that I didn't know I felt and they are so strong within me. I love Israel and I'm in pain about what happened there. I think the world is going crazy around us. Wars are everywhere. People are getting killed every day. And I feel like I fit in the middle of this. I don't know who I am or where I come from. It's actually hard for me to talk or write about my land because I feel I don't have any land. I don't feel like I belong to any place. It's like on one hand, I live in Israel, which is considered a Jewish country. I feel I'm unwanted there, the black sheep of the country. Who says that I don't want to be a normal citizen there? I, be, I pay taxes, I speak Hebrew, isn't it enough? Or should I go into the army and serve there? On the other hand, I'm an Arab girl, but I don't live with Arabs. I don't speak Arabic all the time, because people can't understand me. I wish that I would have land to belong to, to be free there, to be equal like everyone else, and to live in peace, but real peace. The world land or my land doesn't make sense to me. This comes from my heart, and I can't lie to myself. 
Who says that I want to continue being considered like the entral enemy from both of the sides? It seems to me that we are not going to live in peace anymore because we still believe that we have enemies. Enemy, I abhor this word. I think that the real enemy of you is yourself. If you want to do whatever, if you, if you want to believe that you have enemies, it's your problem. You have to fight, to fight yourself and do whatever your heart tells you, not what your brain tells you, because hearts are never wrong. It's time to say stop. We want to live. Stop your madness. Our grandparents taught us a lot of things, and we should learn from their experiences. A new generation will be born from us, and I will raise my children to think differently. Happiness is the greatest state in the world. When I'm happy, I can see the bright side of life, and then I can make other people happy. But when I'm sad, I just want to die, and I see all dark in front of my eyes, like nothing is going right with me. Happy moments are forgetting more than sad ones. It's worth it to laugh and to have fun and to just be happy. We have only one life to live, so we must use it. And the dreams are the most important part. Dreams are something that come from the heart and where no one can judge you. Dreams are one of the things that makes me feel that life is really great and that I feel and that I really have to continue my life the way I want. I have a lot of dreams and I hope that they all will come true. I do believe that if I want something, I will get it. Even if it's hard, I don't tell myself that it's hard. I prefer to believe that there is nothing impossible. Everyone has the same right to dream, to think, and to choose the way that the way he wants his life to be. Because really, life is the greatest gift that God gave us. I remember what happened to me one day. It's maybe going to be funny to you, but it's the example for what happened to me as a Palestinian girl, and I can't forget. One day, the Israeli army told us that after a couple of hours, they will attack Gaza, my city in Palestine. And the meaning of their attack, that they will attack us with tanks and shooting, and sometimes they enter into our homes and use our things and take our men and kick us out of our homes. It scared me a lot. I was terrified. I started to think about what's going to happen if the Israeli army kicks us out of the home. Oh my God, we will be in the streets without a home. Then I just think about a solution. Really, I want to prepare myself. And I came up with an idea to pack a bag with all the stuff that I may need if they kick me out. I put some food for myself and my family if we will be hungry, and all my personal things that I most like, and I don't want to lose them in their attack. I've also put some clothing, especially my praying clothes. And the most important thing that I put is the Quran, because when I feel afraid, or I worry about something and feel unsaved, I read the Quran to feel comfortable and to ask God to protect me and my family, especially from the enemy's attacks. Also, I thought about the weather and about the cold. I get some blankets and warm things. 
I still thank God that the Israeli army hadn't come to, to us or to my family's homes. But I feel so sorry about myself that I was 13 years old. I feel so sorry that I was a child and at that age I worried about the army's attacks. That sometimes old people can't worry about all those heavy things. It's not supposed to happen to children. It's not fair to let a child feel all those fears. Really, not fair. The fear that Palestinian children feel every day and don't have the same normal childhood as every other child in this world. Okay. Home. Land. What does it mean? Almost all of our life is based on material culture. What I feel is home is the place I feel safest in the world. This place for me is the house I live in, in Kahal, a small village in the north of Israel. My private home symbolizes many things, material and emotional. Almost all my life I have lived there and have many good memories, also a few bad ones. They all add up and are carved in my mind as good and happy memories because even my bad memories make me who I am and who I will be in the future. For instance, last year I flew to India with my mom and younger brother to celebrate his bar mitzvah. In India, I had amazing experiences. The things I saw on the, on the one hand, so much poverty, and on the other hand, so much joy. This was a turning point in my life. One day, we had a 10-hour drive, and I was petrified because roads are so narrow and full of cars. I simply said to my mom that if I get out alive, I would start believing in God. <laughs> in India, I felt at home like I do in my home in Israel, especially in my room. I decorated it myself, from the color on the walls to the shape of the table, how it looks and where it stands. I am sad to talk about my room, because my grandfather built me the table and the bookcase, and he died this year. It is difficult for me to deal with his death. That is why the furniture means so much to me and holds so many memories. I miss my grandfather very much, and it is difficult for me without him. I can't imagine how my birthday will be without him there. It is not only my room that is full of his memories, the whole house is full of his personal touch. The benches on the porch that I always sit on, the library and many other things, and this is what makes my house so special to me. My father built the house, and my mom did the interior decorating and works in the garden. The feeling of home is not only in my house, it is in my entire village. In the evenings, all the teenagers meet in our clubhouse, where we talk, laugh, and sing together. I love living in this quiet place, far from the noise and crowds of people. I do not suffer from bombings like most of the rest of the country because not many people come to my small village. 
When I hear the news, I cannot believe why there is so much suffering on both sides. Not only for the Israelis, also for the Arabs and Palestinians. It is difficult to live in a country when every Monday and Thursday there is a suicide bombing and so many people getting killed and wounded. It has not happened yet that a person from my family has been hurt, but I am so scared that it will happen. I don't think I could deal with another death of someone near to me. If you ask me if I have an enemy, I will say yes. I am my own enemy, not the Arabs, nor the Palestinians, or anyone else. Only me. It is me who hurts or forgives myself. It is me who decides what is good and what is bad. Me who makes decisions when to stop a fight, when to make up, and when to make peace. My home, my love, my land. But really, I don't know what I'm talking about. I love it. I adore it. But I don't know what is it. Is it Israel or Palestine? Actually, I, do, I can't answer this question. Sure, Palestine is my love. My traditions and habits are Palestinian. But I live in Israel. And I have an Israeli identification. I also learn in Israeli school. So, am I Israeli? Or shall I ignore my Israeli identity? I can't really ignore it. My voice may be able to ignore it, but my heart can't. I have a lot of dreams that I hope will come true, but I also fear that society will not give me the opportunity. I want to be a woman, a woman who helps her society to become free and to have a permanent identity. Sometimes I feel I'm strangled, strangled because I don't know who I am. But I'm always try to help myself because I was never weak and I will not be weak now. But I'm confused whether I'm Israeli or Palestinian. When I was in Egypt, I met a Palestinian person who lived in Egypt and I told him with a smile that I'm an Arab Israeli girl. He looked at me that he want, like he wanted to kill me, but I don't know how to say what I felt when he said to me, you, Arab Israeli people, hate the Palestinians like the Jewish. I was so surprised from his talking, and immediately I walked away and started to cry without saying anything to him. I had another experience at the airport with my father. There were a lot of Jewish there, and they all passed easily without problems. But it took a lot. But it, it took the Arabic people a lot of time just to pass the first gate. When they asked us where we lived, we said that we are, we are from Umm al-Fahim, and Israeli security stopped us. After one hour, a person from the security came and asked me question for a long time that made me so tired and so nervous. I asked myself, is this happening to me because I'm an Arabic girl living in Israel? The Palestinians look at me like I hate them, and the Israelis look at me like I hate them too. What can I do? Shall I remain silent all the time, or should I look for another identity and call it nothing or no identity?
countries. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for, and no religion too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. Ooh, 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 ooh. You may say I'm a dreamer, but you're not the only one. I hope someday you join us.